When it got down to the last 59 seconds, you were up three, I knew it was going to win. So I put a rolling hat on. So I don't know what we had again. It's a great feeling to come in number one when everyone begin their year said we wouldn't do a thing. Now they're going to try Chuck Everson. What's up, everybody? Not my house is in the house. This is your host, Eric. And as always, right next to me is my co-host, Zach. Zach, what's going on this morning, my friend? Hey, it's about time we got a wild cow of a show, so I'm just really excited for this one. And, I mean, we got another national champion, so it's, it's going to be a fun one. I'm excited. Absolutely. Like you said, he won the national championship in 1985 with Villanova. What a great season that was. He went on to be a six-round NBA draft pick. He, had, he has an amazing podcast called The Big East Rewind. Honored to have him on the show today, Mr. Chuck Everson. How are you doing today, sir? I'm great, guys. How are you? We're doing wonderful, man. Thanks for coming on the show today. Um, from our research, and I know from hearing your accent, you definitely grew up in New York. Uh, Long Island is what we see. Uh, what can you tell us about growing up in Long Island, and what was your childhood like? I had a great childhood. I have two brothers uh, and a loving uh, set of parents um, who have both uh, passed on, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, we, we, uh, it was a basketball family I grew up in. All three of us played. Um, my brother Steve played at Lafayette and my younger brother Tom played at Rutgers. And of course I was at Villanova. So it was a lot of uh, stuff based in and around the basketball circuit camps and workouts and things like that. But, uh, Long Island's a great place. Um, you're right near the beach, anywhere you go. It's obviously it's an Island. Um, so it, it, we had a great time there and still live on Long Island today. And you probably had some great competition with the two other brothers. I mean, most people aren't lucky enough to have, you know, instant competition whenever you want it, right? Yeah. Were, you, were you playing basketball first or was like Little League Baseball maybe your first sport growing up? Kind of at the same time. Okay. Uh, played Little League Baseball. Two funny stories. Like you said, the competition, you know, um, my dad was a big guy, too. He's six foot eight, played in the Army a little bit, you know, so. He would work us out and stuff. So I would play my brother, Steve, because Tom was younger than us. So I would play against my brother, Steve, one on one. And the loser had to carry the winner on his back up and down the block, like a piggyback ride up and down the block. <laughs> that was the penalty for losing. So Steve, Steve is the strongest ever. And that's what I'll tell you, you know, because uh, I got a lot of piggyback rides. You know? <laughs> what's what's the other story you had? The other one, and the other one is funny because I, I did play Little League Baseball, you know, and when you're as big as me, I've always been a big kid. The strike zone is um, enormously big, so I wasn't actually very good. So, uh, you know, I've been dating um, the same girl. Now she's my wife. We're together 40 years between high school and everything. So the first time I go to her house, her dad says to me, I know who you are. And I go, oh, OK, one of these things, it's going to be a basketball thing. He goes, you played on the Yellow Hats in the in the BYA Little League. I go, that's right. I did. And he said, yeah, I told our pitcher to throw it right down the middle. That big stiff can't hit anything. So I said, <laughs> yeah, Thanks. <laughs> I said he wasn't wrong, but, you know, he didn't have to say it like that. That was my introduction to her family. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> that's a great way to get the you know the first foot forward, right? Yeah. <laughs> meet meet the know. pops and he calls you a big stiff right down the middle, right? Right down the middle. Yeah, there was no, you know, no messing around. He, you know, calls it as he sees it right from the jump, man. Oh man, that's amazing. Um yeah. New York is huge for playground basketball. A lot of the guys that we talk to from the city you know, played yeah. a lot of playground basketball. Um, did that happen for you being from Long Island? Did you play a lot of playground oh, yeah. basketball? Listen, here's here's the thing that's that's totally different, you know, beside the AAU 
portion of it, which I'll get into in a second. But, you know, there was no trainers when when we played. You know, I wasn't going to see, you know, the shot doctor or anything, you know. Right. So what would happen is, let's say, Eric, you and I are playing in the park, okay? And, and I make an escape move. Maybe I spun on you or did something in the heat of the moment just because I had to get out of your way to get to the basket, okay? So now I would go home, the lights would come on, and that was the rule back then. Yep. You know, the lights come on, you got to come home. So so I come home, I'd have dinner, and then I'd go out in my backyard, you know, and work on that move. Like, how did I do that kind of thing? And I broke it down and I worked on the move so that when I went to the park the next day, I could try to do the move on purpose rather than by accident, you know? Yeah, and that's totally. how you got better. You looked at other guys and they go, oh, I like what he did there. Let me see what he did. And, you know, you work on it in your driveway. So, you know, back in those days, God, we were playing for hours. I mean, all day long, you know. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned how you looked at certain guys and, you know, tried to take moves from them. So but who are the guys that you really like tried to emulate? Like, who did you want to play like, chew gum like, block like? Who were those guys? And when did the growth spurt hit, too, by the way? Did you always want to play like a big guy or did you try to uh, play play like a guard early on? Yeah. You know, um, I started playing in the fourth grade. And, um, you know, I played for a guy named Marty Rigger at Brentwood High School, and he instilled the love of the game uh, to me because, you know, he let me as a fourth grader. My dad would take me to varsity practice every night and I was allowed to shoot on the side rim. You know, when the coach was talking, you had to hold the ball, you know, and you had to watch if they were running full court. You had to watch, you know. Um, And then by the time I was in sixth grade, I was running um, non-contact you know, passing drills and stuff uh, with the varsity. Um, So he really uh, instilled that. Um, The first guy I really looked up to was Mitch Kupchak, who was uh, a Brentwood guy, same as me. He's 10 years older than me. And, you know, of course, Mitch went on to win championships with the Washington Bullets and the Los Angeles Lakers. He was the GM for the Lakers for a long time. And now he's the GM for the Charlotte Hornets. So I stay in touch with him. But he was the guy because he played so hard. I mean, there was a play I remember. Uh, they were playing the Supersonics, the Bullets were, back I think 76 or 7 in the finals. He dove on the floor and did like a flip. He did like a tumble salt. And as he came across, as he came around, he got the ball out to Bobby Dandridge on the wing. And, you know, they scored a best. I said, wow, that was, a you know. So I was that guy that was diving into stands and diving on the floor for loose balls, a lot of floor burns and stuff like that. And and I, I didn't know there was an option like there is today to play outside. I mean, I had a pretty <laughs> good jumper. I had a pretty good jumper, but I was always told to play in the paint. So I, I like to bang around in there and, you know, muscle people and stuff like that. So that's that was kind of my game underneath. Yeah, I mean, those players are important. And I want to ask you what the high school basketball scene was like for you. I mean, what kind of player were you? And, uh, I mean, did you go up against any familiar names? Did you have a rival, anything like that? Yeah, and Long Island was was pretty good uh, back then. There was a lot of good play. Every team had one stud, you know. So it was like a guy named Alex Agudio who played at, uh, at Niagara, and he played at, I think um, – I know he played, I forget where else he played, but he, he was really good. There was guys, uh, you know, in our, in our, on the Island that Timmy Kempton and people like that, there was a lot of really good players. Um, so anytime you played a game, you weren't playing say Walt Whitman, you were playing Alex or you weren't playing Lindenhurst, you were playing the Stefan twins or, you know, um, 
and then, you know, of course, you know, you, you, you got guys in the city. Um, you know, I played in the Newsday Classic. Um, I was elected to play in that. The first one actually at the Nassau Coliseum. So they had eight future pros <laughs> on their team and they kicked the crap out of us. Uh, you know, it was it was uh, eye opening as to what you were going to see uh, when you event when I eventually got to the Big East. But the, the funny thing was Pearl Washington was on that team, as was Walter Berry, John Sally, Kenny Smith, um, wow. several, several others. They were loaded, man. Yeah. And uh, so Pearl comes down. Thank God I wasn't in the game for this. But Pearl comes down and throws a bounce pass from half court uh, up over the rim that Walter Court rocked it and dunked it backwards on Tim Kempton, who wound up playing at Notre Dame and with uh, the Phoenix Suns. Wow. You know, oh, so wow. it was, you know, to see that I was like, OK, you better you, <laughs> you better work on your skills. You know? <laughs> Those guys yeah. are good. You know? Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine if you had social media back then with highlights like oh, that, no. with Pearl Washington especially. We hear a lot of Pearl Washington stories. I mean, we yeah. have Gene Smith, and he's telling us all about Pearl Washington. So. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I tell kids that I coach all the time that you really become a better player, not during the actual basketball season, but during the off season is where you really get better as a player. And, I mean, we talked about the blacktop game, but did you do any of, like, the pro-ams, like the Rucker League, or did you go to any of the big camps, like the Nike camp in your off-seasons? Or, or what can you tell I, us? I went to – you know, well, back then, there was no real AAU per se, okay? AAU was in its very infant stages, and um, if there was any teams that I could have played on, I didn't know about them on Long Island, that's for sure. So you had to go to some of the bigger camps um, to be seen. So I went to um, – Eastern Invitational, which at the time was one of the biggest camps other than Five Star on the East Coast. Uh, and there was, you know, it was wild because you'd go to a game and there'd be 100 coaches sitting in the in the stands. You know, um, I played in the, um, you know, what's now become the ABCD camp. It was called Athletes for Better Education. It was the first one of those. And they scholarshiped guys. They got a Long Island guy, a Brooklyn guy, a Queen. So the Queens guy was Wendell Alexis. The Brooklyn guy was uh, John Sally. I was the Long Island guy. Um, and that was that was really a fun camp because you went to school for a couple of hours during the day. And then it gave you an idea of what it was like to play in college. So you'd be at school and then you would play ball at night. But you would play the best guys around, you know, in the New York area. New York uh, had a lot, a lot of great players back then, you know, and, and especially um, – the city, Long Island, they used to have a thing called the um, the uh, the Long Island Top 70 camp, you know, where it was like a, a, a day camp. You'd go there, you know, at night after everybody was done with dinner and stuff, you would go there and play for three, four hours. And those games were incredible. Guys like Billy Winnington and Ronnie Stewart and guys that I wound up facing later on, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in college, you know. Explain to the listeners what it was like you know, you're playing in high school, you know, you're, you know, you're a good player in high school. Explain to listeners that next level when you're playing in those type of invitationals, like you starting to feel like, okay, I can play to that next level college wise and, and take your career further. Is it kind of like a wake up call where you're going, wow, yeah. there's some next level guys big time here. Like explain to the listeners, especially the younger listeners that we do have like that experience. Well, yeah, that's a great question. You know, you're the big fish in a small pond at your high school. I mean, you know, all of us were the best guys in our high school. I mean, that that's really not saying a whole lot. But then 
uh, you know, it, it gets it gets bigger and bigger with the competition. You it becomes at some point, you know, you're going to be humbled, you know, and when you're going to get back home and think about, oh, am I good enough to do this? Can I do this? Or and, and then you start to think about how can I get to catch up to this guy, you know, or that guy. And you think about that and then you go to work. I mean, and, you know, it's not like um, nothing was handed to you. You know, people think that because you get a scholarship to play basketball, that it's free. Technically, yes, but it's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that went into that, you know, and a lot of stuff that people didn't know about. Um, so you you understood uh, in very short order that, you know, hey, if I want to play at this level, I got to really work my tail off. And that's that's kind of what happened. Yeah, which is which is good that you get to experience that while you're still in high school to, to understand like, OK, here's here's what's happening. Right. Because I'm sure you had a ton of recruitment, you know, of letters coming in the mail. Um, why Villanova? And was there a close number two for you or number three, even when you were deciding what college you wanted to go to? Um, I we, you get six visits back then. I took three. I went to Rutgers, Syracuse and Villanova. Um, I kind of knew where I wanted to go. Um, I just had to see if everything was going to fit. Um, I went to a basketball camp. I've been going to Coach Massimino's basketball camp since I'm in the eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade. And um, when I heard him speak, I was like, I, I want to play for this guy. In fact, I went, the story was I, I came home and told my father, I said, hey, I, I want to play for that guy. He goes, well, you, you better get to work because they're pretty good, you know, so you better <laughs> – you better start working. So, um, so my work ethic um, really helped me in my recruitment because um, my high school coach recently told me how it all, you know, cause you forget all that stuff, you know, but my high school coach recently and I, we and I were talking about it and uh, he said that coach mass woke him up out of a sound sleep in the cabin at the, at the camp because they had this extra help uh, class, like, you know, at seven o'clock in the morning. And back then, there were no uh, smartphones or anything to help you get up. You had to like right. get up, you know? Um, so, you know, I would be there every morning ready to go at seven stretched, ready to go at seven o'clock, uh, which wasn't an easy task because like, again, you're in the woods is you know, in, in the cabin and stuff. And uh, so I got there and then, you know, some days there'd be 10 guys there. Some days there'd be five or three, some days it'd be just me, but I was a constant every time. And every morning, Coach would drive by with Mitch Bonaguro in a golf cart and see that I was there every single morning. So he went right after my coach and said, okay, what do we got to do to get Chuck? And, you know, so that's how that all went down. But this, and the other thing was Syracuse, the guy that ran my recruiting was a manager for Syracuse when Bayheim and Dave Bing played. His name is Steve Rochester. And Steve um, was kind of nudging me that way because he knows uh, Coach B. Uh, really well. They're still in touch today. And the funny thing was, uh, Sonny Sparrow was my host. You know, so when I went, when I went to, um, to Syracuse, I stayed with Sonny. And, uh, you know, he he did such a good job recruiting me that uh, I turned around and signed with uh, the little Italian guy right after I left. Him. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I think this is an important topic. I coach high school kids and they, they really struggle kind of finding their role. A lot of them come up from like the JV teams when they're the star and they really struggle coming up and maybe not seeing those minutes. So can you maybe share with us the importance of finding and knowing your role? Because 
I mean, coming off the bench, giving a heart a strong five, 10 minutes, I think a lot of kids struggle with that. So how, how's that transition like for you? And what did you know that you needed to do to fit in on that team? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, it's funny because I tell kids all the time, you have to do one thing so that the guy that's coaching you says, I can't take him, take you off the floor. You know what I mean? So it, it, whether that's rebound or play defense or, you know, not everybody can get 25 a game. It's just, there's only one ball, you know what I mean? So, you know, they, we got guys that can do that. Most cases they were recruited for that specific purpose. Okay. But then what, how are you going to fit in? You know, and that's what we talk about when I coach my kids and, um, how are you going to fit in? How are you going to stay on the court? Well, why don't you, why don't you stop their best guy? Or why don't you get, you know, double digit rebounds? Or why don't you, you know, you know, do set good picks, you know, do be a good teammate, you know, attitude, all these things that kind of make up the Villanova culture. You know, it was a, you know, so we work on all of that uh, kind of stuff to kind of keep people and then, and then they find, they find their niche. You know, the problem today is everybody's telling these kids that they're pros. And everybody's telling these kids how great they are all the time. And, you and you know, and the AAU, you know, the, the, you play, I don't know, I guess we played more games than the Knicks one summer. I coached my daughter's team. I was, wow. you know, we it was like 85 games we played in the summertime. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Jesus, it's, you know, yeah. so you really don't have time to, to think about fitting in. And everybody's telling you how good you are. So you expect now I show up at college, whether it's, D1, D2, or D3, and everybody goes, well, it's D3, you know, they make a face. I said, I'm telling you, the difference between D3 and D1 is this, you know, the D1 guy is this much quicker, he's this much taller, he's this much stronger than you, but you have to be a good player, make no mistake, you have to be a good athlete to play D3, you can't just say, oh, it's D3, I could play there. Well, that's yeah. the misnomer that parents have, and, um, you know, it's tough because, it's it's an it's a humbling uh, experience when you get someplace and all of a sudden you're not playing, and now mom and dad want to go talk to the coach and they're, and they're like, then you can't talk to your, you can't talk to the college coach, you know? So yeah, he's not going to open up the door. You for know, you. Hey, listen, you know what it is too. I mean, I, here's the thing too: is part of that is in high school you get the social studies teacher that likes basketball, so right. he's the coach. In college, that's what he does for a living. He coaches that team. You know, that's how he feeds his family. It's not like if the social studies teacher lost the coaching job, he still is a social studies teacher. So it's it's different. So they can do different things with you. Plus, you know, you might be a, a better athlete in high school, but, you know, you go across the country and, and they're getting kids that are at least as good as you, you know. So when you get there, it becomes very, very competitive. And very, very intense, especially in practice. Practices were harder than the games. Yeah, and I'm so glad that you bring up the difference between Division Three and Division One because I went the junior college route, and I thought that was going to be an easy walk in the park. And let me yeah. tell you, that was the probably the toughest level I'd ever experienced because you got a lot of guys that maybe just didn't have the grades to go D1 or they were mm -hmm. just missing something. But the speed of the game and the talent and everybody's playing for the same thing to get to that four year. It was not an easy transition. So I'm really glad that you bring that up. Especially sometimes it's luck, Zach. I mean, sometimes it's luck, you know, listen, if the ball bounces your way a couple of times, maybe that kid's a D one kid, you know, yeah. maybe if he, if he didn't mess up his SATs or if he didn't, you know, if he right. didn't go out one night and screw up, a, you know, an assignment, you know, maybe he's a D one kid, you know, it's, 
you know, there, there's so we coach mass coach in the NI NAIA, um, you know, his last uh, few years of his life. And, you know, we would go down and watch those guys play. Those guys were good. It wasn't yeah. like they were terrible. They were good, you know? <laughs> so I, you know, those guys, some of those guys could have played on a higher level. It's just the breaks that they were dealt, the cards they were dealt. And, you know, you got to go with what you got. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, you just mentioned practice, how practices were harder than the games. And I mean, Gene Smith said, said the same exact thing oh. about practices at Georgetown and, what was an everyday practice like? I mean, with Ed Pickney, Dwayne McLean, Harold Presley, Pannoni, Granger. I mean, he had an amazing, like, a talent-level team in, obviously, Massimino. So what were those everyday practices like? Well, they were grueling, because especially my freshman year, because um, Michael Mulkin and John Pannone were, like, our leaders, and Stu, Stu Granger as well. And they took no shit from anybody. I mean, if you didn't go their way, you know, it was a problem, you know? So, uh toughest guys I've ever had to play against, you know, and, and learn the, the greatest lessons too, because, you know, you had to go hard all the time. They didn't take a second off and, um, you know, and, and it showed in the way we played the games become easy when you play like that in practice, you know, it's the job of, you know, in at Villanova, it's the blue team and the white team, the blue team of the, is the first team. The white team has got to push the blue team. Otherwise the blue team doesn't get better. So you have to play twice as hard because if somebody's having, you know, everybody gets into doldrums a little bit, you know, and you have a bit, an off day. But as the white team, you really have to push those guys. So otherwise the team doesn't get better, you know. And then so people use the expression scrub or, you know, your bench warmer and whatever. That's really they don't. Those are people that don't know right. <laughs> because, you know, when you get in there, the, the, the last guy, the, the walk on on the end of the bench his job is just as important as Eddie Pinckney's or Dwayne's, you know, because if he doesn't do what he does in practice, then Eddie and Dwayne don't get to do what they do in the game. You know, it's that simple. It's, it's a unit. And, um, you know, so it, it's, it was high, high intensity. And I, and I, I learned the greatest lesson from John uh, Pannone because, you know, we're, we're practicing one day and it's, it's, you know, and back then it was a three hour practice without, you know, no, you know, just water breaks, but it was like, there was double sessions, double three hours. It was like six hours, you know, on a Saturday. It was, it was crazy. Um, so I'm exhausted now. John is just pummeling me, you know, and cause John is a guy that got the most out of whatever God gave him, you know? So, uh, very smart basketball, very high basketball IQ. So I turn around and he got a rebound and I whacked him on the arm, trying to knock the ball out of his hand. And he caves my chest in with an elbow. So I spin him around and we're, we're going to go, you know, and uh, mass jumps in and grabs me. And he goes, are you, he's going to freaking kill you. What are you, do, what are you doing? And he's pushing me back. And I go, you know what? I just had an uh-oh moment, you know? Yeah. Oh, you're right. I think you're right. So the rest of the practice, John beats the crap out of me, you know? So he's the captain. So I go down in the locker room. I go, Hey John, I'm really sorry, you know, about what happened and, you know, you know, just got the better of me today. And he goes, oh, listen, he goes, I'm going to tell you something right now. You and I are going out for a pizza and a Coke later. You know, there's a spot on campus. I'll meet you. I'm buying. He goes, and I want to talk to you. So we go out and he says, listen, down here right now, we're cool. We're brothers. We're, you know, everything's great. You know, tomorrow when you step across the black line onto the court, I am going to kick the shit out of you again. And I'm going to do it every <laughs> single day. Because you are not going to, you know, this is how it's going to go, you know. And I looked at him. He goes, but when we come back over here, 
we're buddies, we're pals, we're, you know, everything's great. So it was a great lesson because, you know, it was a separation the, the you know, the lines on the court, as soon as you step on the court, it's, it's on no matter, you know, if you can be best friends, you know, but it's on when you step on the court. And that was a very valuable lesson that he taught me. Yeah. I mean, that's valuable to anybody. I mean, people listening to that, I mean, that's going to change your practice habits right there. I mean, that's important. Oh, yeah. and, and, uh, What's that, that first NCAA tournament experience like? I mean, from finding out who you're going to play, a little time to prepare for other teams. You got to play against Fi Slamma Jamma. What was that NCAA yeah. experience like for you? And, and playing against Fi Slamma Jamma. Well, I, it, it's funny because uh, I'll tell you a, a story about that in a second. But it, it, it was surreal because if you give Coach Massimino three or four days to prepare for a team, we never lost. You know, so like the first round of every playoff game that I was ever in, and, and we went to the tournament every year in my four years, we never lost the first round game. Okay. Cause he had a week to prepare, you know, five days to prepare. And he was, a, he was like a mad scientist with all the stuff he would do, you know? And um, so, so we're sitting under the basket. We had just beaten uh, Lamar, I think. And uh, we, and we got to play. Um, uh, oh, we just beat Iowa. And, and so we're watching Houston play against Memphis State. And, and uh, Andre Turner goes to step in to take a charge against Clyde Drexler. And Clyde just raises his knees up and goes over Andre's head and dunks the ball. And we're sitting in the second row behind the basket. And I went, oh, boy, it's going to be next week. <laughs> be one of those games. <laughs> yeah. So, so we're getting ready for the game. And, you know, we know what's coming. We know what they're going to do. And. And we work, we work really hard and, and, and we get to um, the hotel. So now it's game day. We're going to play five slam jamma. So in our locker room, we had a Ms. Pac-Man machine. So everybody was pretty good because you would do that instead of going to the Connolly Center or something. You Sometimes you'd stay in there and play Ms. Pac-Man just to blow off some steam or whatever, you know. And um, so everybody thought they were pretty good. So I get there and. Clyde Drexler is in the lobby and there's a Miss Pack machine in the, you know, in the back room, they have a little arcade area. So he goes, Hey, you want to play? I said, sure. I'll play. I'll play. I'm thinking I'm going to kick this guy's ass. I'm, you know, I'm good at this game. Well, he, he puts the quarter in and he's gone. He's gone first and he's up to 80,000 points on the first Pac-Man. I'm like, Holy, what the hell? I so and I like I said, I thought I was pretty good. And he and he's up to 80,000. I go, hey, Clyde, I'll be right back. I go, he goes, oh, I'll be here. Don't worry about it. He, he got like 100,000 points on the first guy. I'm like, if this is any indication of what's going to happen tonight, holy shit, we're going to be in real trouble. So that's amazing. So now so now we get we get to the game and and they just they just dunked all over us. I mean, Larry Mishaw had a game, uh, probably the best game of his life, you know, Benny Anders and. Of course, uh, Akeem, uh, Akeem and, uh, you know, Clyde. Clyde actually had six fouls in that game, and they, and they didn't foul him out. Really? Yeah, before he fouled out, I should say, they gave him six fouls. Nobody, they, they mistracked the fouls. But oh, wow. The funny thing was, I told you, my dad was kind of tough, you know. So that game, uh, you know, we didn't get to the Final Four, so now we get to go home for break. You know, that was the Elite Eight, that game. So I come home and my father taped the game on, you know, the VHS tapes on the VCR. He goes, sit down. I want to show you something. Now I got extended garbage time as Mel, uh, Marv Albert would say, you know, because it, it was a blowout and, you know, so I'm guarding Elijah one 
And I tell everybody I held the Elijah one scoreless, but I don't tell everybody that I only played him for like 40 seconds, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought, Hey, I held them scoreless. So, and I, and I would tell, I would yelling at the coach, um, Lewis, you know, uh, guy Lewis, I've said, he's going to take him out. I'm, I'm like, don't take him out. So the, he's looking at me like I'm crazy. You know, he was like, I'm take, of course I'm taking him out. Takes him out of the game. I go home. My dad is now critiquing my four minutes of garbage time. You know, I think I had, I don't know, four points or something. And, you know, oh, well, you could have done this. You could. And, it, and the credits are rolling, produced by, directed by. I go, how could you even see? When I'm doing the credits are rolling. That's how bad. That's how bad the blowout was. They're rolling the credits, and you're critiquing my game. I said, "Come on, man!" I just walked out. I said, "All right, thanks, Dad. I'll see you." You know, that's such an that's such an East Coast dad. Oh yeah, I I grew up in Jersey. My dad was the same way. Doesn't matter how many yep. points I scored or whatever. He's like, "You missed that one foul shot." Yeah. You missed yep. that, you missed Unfortunately, that one I was that way to some degree. If you had my kids here, they would tell you that. You know, but. <laughs> You know, oh, well, the apple but, in the tree, you know. <laughs> when I woke up this morning, I did not think I was going to hear a Clyde Drexler miss Pac-Man story. No. So yeah, I man. Sure <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, he's good. I t- and, and you know what? I ran into him at a golf outing, and I said to him, I don't know if you remember, he goes, Miss Pac-Man. I go, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. Um, I want to ask you about the title run, though. Um, I mean, that was an incredible title run as an eight seed, fourth in the Big East, I believe. It's yep. impressive, but also the teams that you face. I just kind of want to go down this list really quick. I mean, you got Dayton with Cedric Tony, Michigan with Roy Tarpley, Maryland with Len Bias and Adrian Branch, UNC with Do- with uh, Doherty and Kenny Smith, Memphis with yep. Keith Lee and Askew, and then obviously Georgetown with mm-hmm. Ewing. But at what point did you guys as a team – really think that you could win it all with like how loaded the big East was and all the teams that you face, like what clicked do you think? Um, well, I think the Michigan game gave us a lot of confidence. You know, they were a number one seed. Uh, we beat them, you know, we played Dayton on their home floor. That was no, that was, you know, that was tough, you know? Um, you know, it was funny in that game. I, the thing I remember about that game is, uh, we on the bench, you don't realize what goes on on the bench, you know? So the, their, their mascot is the Dayton flyer. And he looked exactly like Wyatt maker, who was the, the backup center with me on the team. So we're like, why are you cheering for the other team out there? Wyatt? We can't go across this. <laughs> so now it's getting down to the end and um, they, they got to take the ball out and they could, they could possibly uh, tie the game. So, uh, so coach goes, Chuck, get in. I go, it's two seconds, you know, come on. That, that's a game played up, you know, so that there goes the average right down the drain. You're not scoring in two seconds, you know? So I get out there and um, he, he calls, he calls a timeout and he has me down. He says, listen, he's going to run the baseline. Okay. And you're going to chase him and they're going to try to step in and take a charge on you. If you touch the kid, he's going to go down like he got shot and they're going to go to the foul line. And I am going to personally kill you. Okay. So he's telling me this. I'm like, all right, come on. I got this. And everybody's like, you know, so, so I, I, I get up on the guy. Sure enough, he runs the baseline. I stop three feet with my hands up, no contact. The guy can't do anything. They throw one to the ceiling. Prez picks it off. We win the game and everybody mobs me. Cause I didn't screw it up. You know what I mean? It was one of those, <laughs> it was one of those things, you know, but, uh, the, the, the Michigan game beating those guys 
with Tarpley and, and Gilbert and, and uh, Peyton. Um, it was, that, that was, that was at the time we were like, Hey, this, you know, plus during that game, we had a trainer, um, Jake Nevin and Jake was at school since 1927, oh, you wow. know, and he was like, uh, he was like, a. there was something about this guy. He was, he was, a. um, like a magical guy. I don't know how else to say it, but that's what he was, you know? And he was one of these guys that, you know, he helped everybody he was the trainer, but you know, he couldn't tape anymore, but I went down to get taped by him because, um, you know, he, you know, if he tapped your ankle and said, lots of luck, son, you never sprained an ankle, but at the end of practice, I could just go like this and the tape would fall off, you know? <laughs> so he, he put a leprechaun's hat on with like three minutes to go in the game it was the game was played on um saint patrick's day and he told coach he had a, a like a plastic leprechaun's hat and he looked like a leprechaun you know <laughs> so he put this hat on if i think we're going to win i'm going to put this hat on it so at that point you start to think man this, this strange things are happening and we got we got our own leprechaun on the bench you know so what <laughs> in pretty good shape you know <laughs> yeah just the the little mental things that that go so far yeah. in a game like that and, yeah uh, i i gotta ask i mean we shouldn't have a podcast if i didn't ask you this question but i gotta ask about the perfect game i mean it's coined as the perfect game sure and i'm curious uh what the locker room was like before that game or what motivational tactics were used from coach massimino i mean was there Anything different that day as far as preparation? Uh, what do you remember most from that game? Yeah, there was a few things different that day. You know, to be honest with you, um, we stayed at the Ramada Inn, okay? And uh, they had a big parking lot in the back of the um, facility. So we walked through a, a new press break the morning of the game. So if you watch the game, we, we go four across, you know, you go foul line extended, each elbow and foul line extended and Jensen took the ball out. Well, there were a few times where Dwayne would run out of bounds. Jensen would hit him and then Dwayne would pass the ball in. So at that point, most of us didn't even know that that was legal. So, but you had to make sure he was out of bounds before he got it. So Georgetown was kind of like, what the hell are they doing? And then we got the ball in, you know? So it was, it was a brilliant move um, by Mitch Bonaguro and coach. Uh, to put that in prior to the game. And then at pregame meal that, that morning, they ran our two games uh, against Georgetown back to back on ESPN, which are both very close. One was an overtime loss and the other one was a two point game or a three point game. So we watched that and said, huh, we got a shot here. Cause you know, every year that I was at Nova, we beat them one time. And at that point we had lost twice. So we had, it. we figured you know, we got a shot to win, you know? So we get to pregame and coach says, uh, I want you to think about two things. I want you to think about anybody can beat anybody for one game. We don't have to play them best out of five or best out of seven. Okay. And I want you to play the game to win instead of playing not to lose. In other words, don't play scared. Don't play, you know, like safe play balls out the way we always play, you know? And um, that's what we did. So, and that's, and that's what happened. We wound up setting records for shooting percentages and lowest seed ever to win and all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it has to be, I, I wouldn't call it 
necessarily the biggest upset, but I mean, it, it's definitely one of the best games uh, I think I've ever seen. I mean, like you said, coin is the perfect game for a lot of different reasons. And I mean, the shooting percentages were insane in that game, yeah. but there, there was a moment I want to ask you about because I've never really seen this for somebody that goes in for a quick three, four minutes, but yeah. Reggie Williams, I mean, yeah. the, the, the shove or throw and punch, whatever you want to call it. I, I felt it was a little bit bizarre at the end of the half. I'm just curious if there's like any, backstory leading up to that did you ever get an explanation for that or what happened that moment well it's really funny that you asked me if i got an explanation because uh well first of all what happened was uh shot goes up i tip it prez grabs it puts it in we're up one going into the half but dave wingate is flying up the court with the ball and i'm just ahead of reggie and i put a hard clean box out on him and he pushed me to get out of the way it was a typical big east play you know, I was mad personally because I wanted to go to the foul line. You know, it wasn't the shove so much. I wanted to go to the foul line because I knew I wasn't getting back in the game in the second half unless Eddie got hurt real bad, you know, or he or was in foul trouble. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, it's my chance to score in the championship game. We run in the locker room and there's a famous um, scene of Coach Mass pumping his fist and we went in and he used that as as a. Uh, um, motivation for the guys now the interesting thing is our locker room was behind the georgetown bench and their locker room was behind ours so we have to cross in the hallway so those guys are all snickering and sneering and laughing and we got this we got this you know okay we go in he he throws his jacket off takes his tie off he's fired up and everybody's ready to run out you know to go play right you know let's go you know not even, not even taking a sip of water we're ready to play the second half so we shoot uh, nine for 10 in the second half. You know, the rest is history, so to speak. We win the game. I come back in the locker room. I got 40 reporters around me. And I'm going, what the hell's this? You know, I played three minutes. What do you <laughs> want to talk to me for? And they're like, well, because I didn't think nothing of it. I mean, it was part of playing in the Big East, you know. So um, they're like, well, you know, that was the turning point of the game. And I said, hmm, okay. So I'm answering questions. I've milked that three minutes now for 37 years, man. It's, it's, you know, I told that to Reggie, too. So actually, you know, you mentioned the podcast. We do a podcast, and we had Reggie on the show. So we, we asked him about it. And, you know, it was the first time. And, like, I've run into him a couple of times. Like, um, in 2002, the All-Star game was in Philly. I literally bumped into him. And I spun him around, and I went, Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. <laughs> he starts laughing. He gives me a hug, you know. And then everywhere Reggie went, I happened to be next to him, not on purpose, just the way it worked out. You know, he's like, I can't get rid of you, man. I go, I know. So so now we do the show and we have Reggie on and Sonny s says to him, you know, what happened? And he gives his side. And I said, hey, listen, Reg, I, I really feel like I, I owe you dinner or something. I need to say thank you for my 15 minutes of fame. He says, what do you mean? I said, you don't hit me in the mouth. Nobody knows who I am. It's three minutes in the book and that's it. You know, but now that's all anybody wants to talk about. I said, and I've milked it for 37 years. It's been great. I think I owe you dinner. He goes, yeah, you owe me dinner. So he and Sonny and I went for dinner. And this is the funny part, guys. He, We call each other probably every other week now, you know, right. so... So he actually, my birthday's in April. He called me on my birthday to wish me a happy birthday. And then uh, my wife and I were on vacation about a, two, a week ago, uh, two weeks, maybe 10 days, maybe. And um, we called each other and I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be driving up past your, your way. 
because we were driving back from South Carolina. And he goes, oh, I, I you know, I got a spot. Why don't you guys come meet us for dinner or uh, lunch? So we had lunch. The Eversons had lunch with the Williamses. We, we met each other's wife and we had we had a great time. Didn't talk anything about, you know, the incident. You know, it was funny because he says to his wife, he goes, uh, you know, you know, the story about Chuck, right? She goes, yeah. I've heard that story. I know. So he goes to my wife. You know the story, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Then we don't have to talk about that. Let's talk about other stuff. And we, we had a great time with him. They're, they're, he's really an awesome guy. And, uh, you know, and his family's great. And I'm glad that, you know, um, we've, we've become pretty good friends. Sounds like you guys need to spend an afternoon together with a bunch of 8 by 10 signing them for a little little side business. You know what? You know what? I, I tell you something, Eric. It's funny because I talked to him. And I said, hey, you, you got to, you know, we had dinner, like I said, in uh, in Maryland in, uh, with Sonny. And I said to him, hey, look, man, I, I want you to, you got to come with me to the Villanova-Georgetown game on campus. My guest, you come with me, you sit with us, you know. I said, you'll be treated like, you know, Villanova royalty, believe me, when you walk in there, you know. And he goes, oh, that'd be fun. I'd love to do that. So we were all ready to go. And then his family set up a surprise birthday party for his mom. And I the place would have went bananas if we walked in there, the two of us, um, everybody would have been like doing, doing a double take. I, you know, it would have been fun to see the expression on people's faces, you know. I, I love hearing these stories. I think I was 10 years old for that game, and I remember the whole Cinderella story thing. And, and yeah. uh, I remember all that. Were you guys motivated by that? Were you reading the papers at all? You know, or listening to the news when all well, that stuff was going on. Yeah, well, they were selling T-shirts. Get your Georgetown in 1985 national championship T-shirts before the game. Yeah, out yeah. In the street. we saw that, and then uh, USA Today had uh, Villanova versus a God. You know, and that was the headline, and they said there'd be a Martian in the White House before uh, Villanova ever beat Georgetown for the national championship. Yeah, you know, I, so I it was all that. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. I, I remember it was such a big deal when you guys won that game. You know, I I, I completely remember that. Um, give me a give me your favorite coach Massimino story. You got a favorite Raleigh story? Uh, yeah. When you a, when you were there, obviously, right? Well, it well, listen, the relationship with him, um, the basketball part was about that much. You know, we were all there with him because he recruited you for your whole life, not just for four years that you were there, and that was no BS because. I literally was there at the end of his life, you know? Um, so were a few others from our team, but uh, one of the ones that was good uh, is I'll tell you two, but one, one was um, we're playing Providence at the dunk. Well, it was, it was called the, uh, the civic center at that time. And um, a guy sitting behind me and he's razzing the hell out of me. Are you going to get in the game? Are you going to play? What is your problem? Blah, blah, blah. So I'm drawing back with him. You know, now his wife is sitting next to him. I'm drawing at her saying, what are you doing with that guy? You could do better than that. You know, you're, you're way better looking for him than he is. You know, all this other stuff. We're going back and forth. So during the game, so coach comes down and goes, what the hell's going on down here, Chuck? I go, this guy is breaking my balls. He's what, you know, who? I said, the guy right there. He reaches in his pocket, flips him a cord and says, call somebody that gives a damn pal. High fives me and keeps coaching the game. <laughs> Smooth as hell. And the guy didn't know what to do. The guy caught the quarter and he's like, what? you know, he couldn't say, he didn't say nothing the rest of the game. You know, that's, that's a great story. Give us the other yeah. one. The other one is after he's coaching at Northwood University. And um, this is probably he's at this point, he's probably close to he's probably 80 years old. 
at the time. So after uh, a game or after practice or anything, and this was right after a practice, we went to Duffy's Sports Grill down there. We go to sports bar. We have a what he called a shooter. You know, we have something to eat, you know. Um, and we hang out. It was me, Dwayne McLean, and Brian Harrington from the 85 championship team. So we're getting ready to leave. We got to get going because Mrs. Mass has got the pot on for us. She's making dinner. And we're in the cross. Dwayne, uh, Dwayne and I are on the curb and Brian and coach are in the crosswalk. And there's a car coming around and it's starting to speed up. And I go, this, they're going to hit him. So Brian says, jump. And the car hits the two. And Brian goes up on the windshield and over like Starsky and Hutch. Wow. Coach takes a full shot and he's on the ground and he's still got the Chivas Regal glass in his hand. He never <laughs> dropped. He never spilled the drop. <laughs> So now people are going over to him and, and, and Dwayne and I, it happened in like slow motion. You know how that, that feeling, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. So Dwayne and I are going to kill this guy. So he, he gets, he gets out of the car and he looked like the guy on the uncle Ben's rice box, you know, an older guy, right. You know, white hair, you know, the whole thing. And, and, and coach is like, help me up, help me up. So he's dusting his pants off every now there's a crowd. You know, and he go and, and the guys, I'm sorry, I didn't see. You. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. He, coach looks at him and goes, hey, they're not going to hurt you. It's OK. Don't get nervous. It's OK. He goes, listen, you should seriously consider not driving anymore. We were in the crosswalk and very calm. You know, and we were in the crosswalk. He goes, OK, pal, he goes, nobody's hurt. We got to go to dinner. See you later. You know, and people are stopping him. You can't let that guy go. You got to call an ambulance. Coach. He goes, listen. My wife's making pasta for the guys. I like my pasta al dente. He goes, if we wait any longer, it's going to be mush. I can't do this. I got to go. So we get in the car. He's calling all his pals. He's calling Billy Cunningham. He's calling Mike Fratello. He's calling, and nobody's answering the phone because he wants to tell everybody he got blasted by a car and he's fine. So we're teasing him about, you know, Harrison Ford is looking for a stunt double for Indiana Jones and stuff like that. So we go and we think nothing of it. And the next day is game day. So we all stay at his house, you know, and Brian and I get a call from him. Hey, come on, let's go. You're going to make me late. Ever said, where the hell are you? So I, I come down. I go, you all right? He goes, yeah, I got a black and blue on my cheek. He goes, no problem. You go to the gym. He says uh, he looks at his team. And he says, I tell you right now, I know for a fact I'm the toughest guy in the room. And the guys go, he goes, tell him, Chuck. I go, guys, coach took a charge on a Toyota last night. I said, so, you know, if you're thinking about not diving on the floor or not doing what you're supposed to do, you better not do that because he's not lying. He goes, and they're all looking at him. He goes, I'm fine. Let's go play. And they go out and kick the crap out of some team. that they. That's an amazing story. How fast do you think that car was going? Do you have any idea? He, he, pro probably, I would say, between 25 and 30 miles an hour. And he's 80 years old at the time. Yeah, and took a shot. I mean, the full <laughs> shot. I thought, listen, I thought wow. he broke his hip for sure. You know? Wow. I, I mean, up on the hood of the car, rolled off, and he held on to the glass. That's you know? amazing. That it's is unbelievable. An, that's yeah, an yeah. amazing story, man. I mean, we've we've got we've got that story, and we've got Miss Pac-Man so far with Clyde Trash. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we could end it right now and be good, but I don't I don't want to though because I really want to hear about the draft process because what a lot of people, especially our younger listeners, don't realize is. There was a lot more than two rounds back then. You know, everything yeah. everything was more like draft party this, draft party that. I'm sure that didn't happen, but I would love to know, how did you find out you got drafted? 
I'm at my future wife's aunt's house. We're having like a little get together party. It had nothing to do with the draft. I knew the draft was that day. And I get a phone call from my mom going, hey, you got to call Coach Lady. You just got drafted by the Jazz. I went, what? <laughs> really? That's amazing. They said, yeah. So uh, I called them. And the funny thing, um, my mother's maiden name is was Larson and Coach you know, Frank Layden. They both went to the same high school in Brooklyn. In fact, their pictures are right next to each other in the high school yearbook, you know, Larson and Layden. You know, so that was her claim to fame. So it was funny that I got picked by them. And uh, and then, you know, them, they asked me to go play up at Kutch's for the uh, Maurice uh, Stokes uh, wheelchair classics. So I went up there and got to play against um, some of my future uh, teammates, you know, in practice, you know. Um, and that was you know, a good experience, you know, but it was not like, um you know, like what you said, there was no parties or any of that stuff. I didn't know I was even going to get drafted. And and the yeah, funny yeah. thing is, the funny thing is now, you know, the guys on our team are really close, especially the '85 team. But a lot of the guys that played at Nova are very close. And uh, you know, I have a lot of fun with Plansky and stuff like that. You know, and Plansky's always talking. To, you know, I'm texting with Daniel Ochefu. You know, uh, during the '16 run. You know, and and continually we're we're pretty good friends even today. So he's he's hanging out with Mark, and he said he calls me. And he says, "Hey, Mark says I shouldn't be hanging out with you. That you can't get me to the league." I said, "Ask Mark who drafted him." I said, "Go ahead." So he, he asked Mark. I go, "You're going to hear crickets because nobody drafted him. He's a Hall of Famer at Villanova, but he never got drafted." Now ask me. Go ahead, but I, <laughs> but I don't tell him there was six rounds or eight rounds. <laughs> <laughs> you leave that so part Jeff out. Goes, oh, you got drafted. I said, yeah. So tell Mark he go pound salt. You know. Oh, that's a that's amazing. Did you play? And I don't think they had this back then. There was no summer league back then. So did you go? I don't know if there was. Did well, Sunny Hill. Play? There was a great. There was a great summer league in Philly. Okay. You know? Okay. Did you play in that, or did you go right into training camp for the Jazz? No, I I played. Um, yeah. I mean, this was uh, crazy too because they had they had. Um, they had a game where you played against the guys that were in the league, like to start the, the league off, you know, against the guys that got drafted. And we had a couple of guys that were former players, like Kobe's dad played on my team, okay. you know? So, you know, before that, we two years before that, we played against Barkley in, uh, we played Auburn in Florida for a game. Chuck Persons on the foul line, I'm going to box Barkley out on the foul line. And I came in, he really put me in the game for Prez. Normally I go in for Ed. So Ed's opposite me. He goes, switch sides. I go, I got this. Look, look at this guy. I got this. Well, he curls up like a spring. He gets his hips down by the floor. The ball comes off the back iron. His hip hits me in the leg. So I can't jump. And he takes off and ba-boom. He tomahawk dunks it on me. And he was big at the time, heavy. And he's only like 6'4". And I was like, wow, that was incredible, you know? So that happens. So now, now what happens is I get to this game and uh, I'm coming in for uh, Joe Bryant for jelly. So I said, uh, I said, who do you got? He goes, I got Charles. I went, oh, man. Okay. So, so Barkley backs off on me. I'm in the short wing. He goes, shoot it. I'm giving it to you. So I go to the rim. Cause the last time we played, he dunked on me. Yeah. So I, I went to dunk on him. He catches it, goes the length of the court, shakes me, you know, hesitate. Bang, dunks the ball, slaps me on the backside and runs back. Now, place is wild. They're, they're hanging from the raft as the place is packed with people. Next time down, 
I, he goes up to dunk the ball. I block it. I, t- I put him on his ass. I, I kick it out to the guard. I fill the lane. Bam. I dunk the ball. Now I'm gassed and I'm on the foul line and I'm going to box out Barkley. You know, he's right next to me, just like we were two years before. And he goes, well, we've been here before, haven't we, Chuck? He goes, I said, you remember that, huh? <laughs> he goes, yeah. He goes, yeah. He goes, if you don't make contact, it's going to happen again. He goes, listen, you're playing great. Just hit me because I will dunk on you again. He goes, and besides, you're coming with us. We, you know, we went out afterwards. You know, he said he invited me to go out with them afterwards while we were on the foul line. So I wow. boxed him out. We finished the game. We went out and hung out. But it was amazing to get to play against those guys, to see what that is like at that speed and that physicality. I mean, you have to be in, I mean, tremendous, tremendous shape to even get up and down the floor with those guys. You know? Oh, yeah. It's like one of the things that people don't understand, you know, that aren't professional players is the window keeps getting smaller and smaller to, yep. to the opportunities that you do have. I watched a video where Brian Scalabrini's playing some, 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 kid at the at the y or something like that and he says look i'm closer to kobe than you are to me you know what i mean i just it was such a great quote and he, and he just smokes the kid because the t- kid was talking trash but it, it, it was right. like kind of like that one of those things where you step back and think and go you know what everybody whether you're number one or you're the last guy on the bench like you belong in the league if you're there yeah and a lot of people don't understand that you know so when you're when you're done with the jazz do you play in the CBA? I believe. Um, yeah, I did. Yeah. Did you did you flirt with the idea of playing overseas, or is that not really? A I played in. For... I played in England. I played okay. in England too. Because when I what happened was with the Jazz, they made a trade. They got rid of um, Adrian Dantley. Well, first of all, I went to rookie camp. Okay. And um, Del Curry was the number one pick. So Steph's dad was the number one pick for the Jazz. So I played with Del a little bit, and they had three big guys that they kept. You know, so in rookie camp every day, I had a guard, Theral Bailey, Carl Malone and Mark Eaton. Mm. You know, Mark was seven, four, yep. you know, yep. so and we're playing in a scrimmage game and Carl's on my my team. So um, the big guy, I'm, I'm calling for help because the big guy beat me down the court after a rebound. Carl levels him with a forearm and he goes, OK, you got him. He's laying in a heap, you know, on the floor. <laughs> so uh, I go, OK, thanks, Carl. So uh, so they kept five of us for veterans camp. And I was one of them because I played in the summer league with them. I did pretty well. Um, and, but I was a project. So was the other two big guys, you know? So they make a trade, they get rid of Adrian Dantley and they picked up Kent Benson. If he, he was on that Indiana team that went undefeated and he was with Detroit at the time. And uh, so Kent was in the league 10 years. So they said, look, we really, we could work with you, but we don't want to spend the time doing that when we can get a veteran for 10 years and not have to worry about this guy if we have to put him in or whatever. So England's been calling. If you want to go there, you should go. Otherwise you can stay till the end of camp, get a little more experience playing with us. And then we'll let you go the last day. Either way you're getting let go. Right. So I, so I left and went to England uh, and played there for a season, which was interesting because we played on like an indoor outdoor carpeted rug one game. It was like being deaf. You know, you couldn't hear the ball. You couldn't hear the sneakers squeak. Wow. You know, it was, it was wild. Um, and then I went over, I played in the CBA. I played in Casper, Wyoming with, uh, I played for Cassie Russell in, in Casper, Wyoming, which was pretty interesting, you know? Um, and, uh, and then I wound up in the USBL and, you know, bounced around a little bit. And I finally said, okay, let's time to get a real job now. You know, it's enough for trying to do this. I figured that was it, you know? 
yeah, it worked I mean, out. But I mean, what amazing experiences you had to be, uh, you know, the fact that the ball took you all across the country and all these different leagues. I mean, that's a special thing. But uh, speaking of special things, I just wanted to ask you really quick about Jay Wright. I mean, obviously he retired and he has yep. left such a amazing legacy on Villanova. And I'm just uh, curious if you can just kind of talk to us about what you think Jay Wright uh, left Villanova as far as his legacy and where they go from here. I mean, how do you feel about the future of Villanova moving forward? I, first of all, I feel great about the future. Um, Kyle Neptune is going to do a fantastic job. If you would have told me that Jay was going to leave on Friday, you know, who would you want? If you can have anybody to coach the team, what would you say? I would say Kyle Neptune, you know, and I think a lot of the former players would say the same because he knows the culture. He, he was part, uh, he was partly there to build uh, the culture. Um, not only that, but he knows all the former players. He knows uh, the, the basketball alumni. He knows the the the, the, um, the donors and stuff like that. So he, he knows all the people around the program. Um, and I don't think it's going to miss a beat. You know, the, the guys that are running the show now are the three guys that were on the staff for the last two national championships. So they, they know what they're doing. Um, Jay taught them well, but um, replacing, you know, stepping in those shoes is a huge uh, challenge for anybody, you know, and uh, it, there's going to be some hiccups. And I hope that uh, Nova Nation is uh, patient with uh, Kyle. Um, but to answer your question, Jay, what you see with Jay, that's how he is all the time. You know, I mean, he, he's awesome. He knows he knows when you played, what you did. And, you know, it's funny because I talked to a lot of former players and Jay makes it so comfortable to come back to school. You know, like you're welcome with open arms and you're treated like a rock star when you come back, you know. And then for the guys that have played, in, you know, in the 70s, the 60s, the 80s, it, it's a special thing to be able to do that, you know, at any time you want to, you know. Um, I think the the building blocks of the culture, I think, was started by Coach Mess. And, and I think um, Jay took those and Jay is much more polished than coach. And I think he polished everything up and made it his own and took it to a whole nother level, you know? And, um, but the foundation's still the same, you know, it's the same when we played and everything else. And, uh, he's just done a, an awesome, an awesome, awesome job on a lot of levels, uh, with a lot of things and stuff that people don't even realize that, that he's doing, you know, his hands are on every single thing. And I think that was part of what kind of got to him at the end when he decided to get out, because um, I, I just think it's more than just coaching now. You know, I mean, you got the NIL, you got the portal and it's draining. I said, you, if I if I was to recruit you, Eric, say, right. Mm -hmm. And you sign with us at, you know, Chuck University. Right. So I bring you in and you're my, you're my freshman guy. I got to keep recruiting you now. Cause you could turn around and leave to next, next week. And, and, you know, now I got it. Whereas before, okay, we got that guy. Now we got to worry about getting Zach. You right. know, it's not like that anymore. Now, now you get Eric and Zach and now you got to, now you got to keep recruiting them. You know, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's exhausting. You know, and then with NILs, there's a whole host of problems that go along with that. And, you know, um, you know, how do you keep, the integrity of your culture, the team aspect, when one guy's making 30,000 and the other guy's making 3,000, you know, and, you know, how come I'm not getting the money he's getting? And, you know, it, it, you know, and I don't, I'm not privy to any of this behind the scenes stuff with the NIL stuff, but I know 
I know it beats everybody up, but there's no coincidence that Williams, Shashevsky, and and Wright all got out this basically the same year. You know, right, right. You know, that's that's not a coincidence. You know, and I think the older guys and the elder statesmen, you know, the 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 Hall of Famers, they're not built to to handle all of that stuff. And then add on top of that, dealing with the politics of a Catholic university like Villanova and dealing with you know, basketball alumni and dealing with, you know, regular alums that come back that donate. And, you know, it's it, you're you switched on all the time. And so when I heard the news, I had I had also heard that uh, Patty Wright wasn't doing well health wise. And I said, God, I hope that's not the case. And then we had a team banquet that we have every year, whether we win a championship or we win two games, they still have it. So I wasn't going to go. And then I found out that this was going to happen. So I felt I had to be there for Jay uh, for that. So a lot of former players, once they found out that Jay was leaving, came back to support him and Patty. And thankfully, Patty is not in bad health. Um, in fact, she's doing great. And uh, Jay, it had nothing to do with that. Jay was just, he goes, Chuck, I had to get myself revved up to go into a team meeting. He goes, I, I can't ask these guys to give me 100% if I can't give them 100%. You know, you so I get up- that. I get that, you know. So you, you bring up so many great points too, because I don't think people realize how many hats coaches are wearing nowadays. Oh. And yeah. and the, the, you know, to constantly put a winner on the court, knowing that your guy might be there two years. You know, you're not building a team where a team's playing together for four years or three years. I mean, that's got to be absolutely difficult. And you know. I want to talk to you about your podcast real quick, um, the Big East Rewind. I grew up watching Big East basketball. My dad went to St. John's. I mean, I was always watching St. John's, Georgetown, Syracuse. I mean, excellent basketball in the 80s. I mean, just phenomenal basketball. Um, What do you want our listeners to know about your show? Well, we we started this thing out of a labor of love. Sonny and I know each other, as I said to you guys before, from my visit So since high school. Um, you know, I did a thing called the Hoya locker room with Gene Smith and, uh, I was the first non Hoya to be on the show and I was on with Billy Martin and we had such a good time. Uh, I said, you know, this would be cool to do this along the big East lines because not only would you rekindle old relationships and old friendships, you'd have new ones like Reggie and I, and, uh, you know, and it would bring back a lot of nostalgia and a lot of, so we try to take a 360 degree look at the big East, you know, in, in, when the big East was the big East, you know? Um, so what we've had on, we've had on everybody from managers, coaches, players, trainers, um, you know, mascots we've had on, we did a show with referees, you know, so we've got everybody's view of what's going on. And we've had, we've had an incredible guest list, for, you know, only being around for a year. We've had, you know, guys like uh, Jay Billis and Michael Wilbon and Coach Calhoun, Coach Beheim, Jay, Patrick Ewing, you know, and, and it goes on and on and on. We've had, you know, Bill Raftery was our first guest. So and it, and it's a very relaxed. It's like it's like 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 this is like the three of us talking over a beer in a bar somewhere about the old days. And you're you're reliving the nostalgia parts and, and the guys that have been on the former players in particular always call back and say, man, that was so much fun. I appreciate that. And, you know, and then they give us numbers of guys that they talk to. So we get those guys and, you know, so it's, it's on YouTube. You can go in uh, to YouTube and, and hit Big East Rewind uh, in the search bar and all of our shows will come up. We've got like 55 or six. The latest one right now is Val Ackerman, who's the uh, the current commissioner of the Big East. 
and she's very impressive lady. Um, you know, she started the, part of the people that started the WNBA. She was the bridge that got the pros to go play in the Olympics for the dream team. Oh, wow. You know, she's a hall of famer, you know, so we've had, I don't know, uh, 16 or 17 hall of famers on the show. Now so is it's it been, been kind of cool. Is it just on YouTube? Is it on like any of the streams? Well, you can get like it wherever iTunes. you get your podcast too. Oh, perfect, but it's perfect. but it but you know what's cool, Eric? It's a better watch, I think, than listen, because we have a guy named Daryl Gurney that when it, we had Billy Winnington, for example, talking about a play that Chris Mullen made, how we how we knew where Billy was gonna be, and he just threw it over his shoulder without looking. And you see the play as Bill's talking about it, because Daryl edited it in there. So when we release it. You know, you can see all of that stuff. So that part is kind of cool. There's a, there's a lot of um, clips and photos and newspaper clippings and all of that stuff tied into the um, the final production. But it's also a good listen. It's very relaxed. You know, there's no um, controversial stuff. There's no we've had guys on there that, you know, have been in uh, some controversial situations. But, you know, we didn't go down that road unless they wanted to. We gave them. You know, we talked to them and wherever the conversation went, it went, you know what I mean? And like I said, it's like talking to old friends and, you know, we were a lot of, a lot of joking around, especially with the Georgetown guys, Sonny being an Orangeman, you know, and, uh, and me being on, on the Villanova team that beat them in the finals. It was a lot of, a lot of kidding around back and forth about, you know, where they stayed at when they, when they were playing at the garden, they stayed in Rye, New York, you know, stuff like that, traveling on a school bus. Thompson had them riding on a school. Can you imagine Patrick Ewing in a school bus riding two hours to go to a game? With no seatbelts. <laughs> Crazy. You know, I'll tell you right now, I'm I'm I've absolutely loved this conversation today. And I think we need more of this in sports, and that's why we do our show, because we yeah. want to give back to a lot of the younger listeners and kind of just Get them away from all the screaming and yelling and nonsensical takes and just try and, you know, you know, I'm a big New York Knicks fan and the, there's always the big joke on the internet, Knicks for clicks, where they just make up stuff about the Knicks to get clicks. And yep. to me, it just ruins sports. Like, it's so hard for me to actually watch sports anymore because I don't feel like not, – not actual sports, but like sports shows because I feel like it's just I'm getting yelled at all the time and I don't feel like I'm getting good knowledge like we got today. Um, I want to do a quick lightning round with you, if you don't mind. Zach's going to ask a question. It's just a one or two word answer to some questions Zach's got. Zach, are you ready to ask okay. some questions to Chuck? I am. And uh, the first question is, where's the best Philly cheesesteak at? Where's the best one? Pat's. Pat's yeah. Steaks. Pat's? Okay. Uh, who's your toughest cover? The one guy you just couldn't figure out how to guard? Carl uh, Malone. All right. Funniest teammate? Gary McLean. Any weird superstitions that you or a teammate had that come to mind? Mm, not really. I mean, Coach Mass would wear the same suits uh, for each each tournament game. He'd have a blue suit for the first round. If we won, he kept that for the first round, and he had a tan suit for the second round. Oh wow! And went all <laughs> okay. the, if you watch if you watch the games, you'll see him in the blue suit and the tan. Awesome. Uh, who's one guy that you wish you could have played with? One guy, Pearl. Awesome. And uh, my, my last one, this might be an obvious one, but I ask everybody this question. What's your favorite basketball memory? If you had to pick just one. You know, obviously everybody's going to say, well, it would be the 85 team, but it's not what you think. It's not um, the games or anything like that. It's the relationships that we've had for 40 years almost with Coach Mass and all the guys on that team. And uh, that's, that's the most special thing because we make memories every single day. I, I talk with one or two of those guys every week and it's not even the same guys you know um 
Um, in fact, tomorrow, Brian Harrington's daughter is graduating from Villanova, and she invited me to be her guest because I'm Uncle Chuck, you know, and that's the way it is with our guys. So I would say um, the relationships with those guys. That's a great answer. And, and you know, the one thing I love about sports is the lifelong relationships you have and, and the things that go past sports that affect your everyday life. I can't thank you enough for being on our show. I, this is probably one of my favorite conversations I've ever had on our podcast, telling the God's honest truth. Um, before we let Chuck out of here, Zach, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, I just want to echo what he said. This is one of my favorite ones. This is truly an honor to have you to have a national champion on the podcast. And I mean, your podcast is a great show as well. I know our listeners are going to love it and they're just going to get a lot out of this conversation. So just thanks so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I had a lot of fun. Awesome. Thanks again, Chuck. We appreciate you. All right. See you guys. Stay safe. All right. So when I wake up this morning, I'm, I'm not expecting to hear a Miss Pac-Man Clyde Drexler story. I'm not expecting to hear Raleigh Massimino taking a charge against a Toyota and holding his drink the whole time. So <laughs> I, don't even, I, don't even, I mean, like literally probably one of my favorite episodes we've done so far. I mean, Chuck is just a great guy, great, great storyteller. And, uh, you know, really gave us a glimpse on what Big East basketball looked like in the 80s. Yeah, and he's he's just known as the guy that really keeps everybody connected in that Villanova program. He's such an important piece to Villanova, and I think it's a really good lesson for especially our younger listeners who are transitioning into finding their role or their place in a basketball program. You don't have to be the guy that scores 20 a game. You don't have to be the guy plays 10 minutes a game you can maybe not play at all and you can still have such a huge impact on a program just like chuck did and uh, that's why i really enjoyed him today but the fact that he has had such a huge impact on that program even though he's not that 20 and 10 type guy uh, that says a lot about him his character his work ethic and uh i think our younger listeners should really take a page out of his book if they want to make uh you know leave leave their fingerprints on a program no, I completely agree. It's a lot of those intangibles are super smart to have, you know, especially if you're not that guy that's going to score. You're not that girl that's going to grab 15 rebounds. You know, you could be that player that just sets great picks. And you know how that goes, man. You know, playing morning ball, there's always that one guy where you're like, this dude's setting picks way too hard at seven in the morning. You know what I mean? But like those guys are valuable because you know what? Those guys get other guys and girls open for shots. Thank you so much for listening to our show. I cannot believe how many downloads we've been having lately. It's, it's just unbelievable. And the downloads help because the downloads get us great guests like Chuck. Um, we got some more in the queue that are going to be great. Uh, you guys are going to be really excited about all the people that we got coming on the show. And a lot of it's really because of you guys. I mean, you guys put us on the map. You know, you guys share stuff on social media. All these things make an enormous difference. So thank you so much for doing what you're doing. We really do appreciate it. Zach, is there anything you want to add before we get out of here? Just big thanks to Chuck Everson. I mean, you know how much my dad loved those Big East teams with Ed Pickney and Dwayne McClain being some of his favorite players of all time. So those are guys I grew up watching. So it was just uh, really fun to learn about him, that team, and his journey today. So I just can't thank him enough. Absolutely, man. Same here. Dad went to St. John's and I watched a lot of a lot of Big East basketball right in that time period, man. Live on the live on the TV, man. And it was uh amazing competitive basketball. I mean Special it, era. It, was, it really was, man. There wasn't really no bad teams. I mean, you know, I think about all of those teams and watching those games and they were all exciting games. I mean, it was it was it was must see TV back then. It's on CBS. I still remember the network, man. It was just 
amazing basketball. Thank you very much, guys, for listening to the show again. Can't thank you enough. Make sure you're good to yourself, good to each other. Stay safe out there. Peace. Peace.